of your mission control. It's like deep waters. It has coding down there that you may not be even to know what it says, what it means. But a man of understanding draws it out. The heart has deep hidden things inside of it. The heart is also dishonest and calculating. You're still in Proverbs chapter 20. Let's look at verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart pure? Oh yeah, I may have made a mistake, but I, I, I can cleanse this. I can make it all right. I'm clean of my sins. Isn't that what the world does? They justify themselves. I've done this so that sponges those actions, those thoughts, those motives. And do you think you're any different? We're dishonest in our heart. We're calculating. We're untrustworthy. Proverbs chapter 16. Flip a few pages to Proverbs chapter 16. Let's see how the heart is self-favoring. And when we turn to Proverbs chapter 16, this verse is not going to use the word heart, but I want you to see it that it's parallel to Proverbs chapter 21 verse 2. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2 says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the Spirit. Chapter 21, verse 2. In parallel fashion, it says, Every way, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Do you see the parallels between this and chapter 16? All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. But here in chapter 21, it says every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Chapter 21, verse 2 at the very end says, But the Lord weighs the heart. The Lord weighs the heart. The Lord weighs the spirit. The Lord is looking at mission control of your life and of mine. The heart has deep hidden things in it. The heart is dishonest and calculating. The heart is self-favoring and it's deceitful. Turn to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 49. As you're turning to Jeremiah chapter 49, let me remind you of Jeremiah 17, 9. Jeremiah 17, 9, many of you guys have memorized. It says that the heart is deceitful. The heart is deceitful. How, how much clearer could you be than that? By reading the rest of the verse. The heart is deceitful above all things. That was just raised to the superlative, wasn't it? It's not just, you know, a collection of, oh, here's some deceitful things. No, but above all of those things that are deceitful, the heart is. Just so that you get the point, it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 49, verse 16 says, The whore you inspired has deceived you. The pride of your heart, you who live in the cleft of the rocks, he's talking to Edom, who hold the heights of the hills, 
You thought you made your nest as high as the eagles. I will bring you down from there, declares the Lord. And of course, this parallels what's found in that little book of Obadiah. Verse 3, which says, The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the cleft of the rocks, in your lofty dwellings, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? We are prideful, and in our pride, in our self-sufficiencies, we think that we're all that and a bag of chips, but God is in the mix of things, and he's looking at what is happening, what's in our heart. He knows what's in our heart. He knows that we're self-favoring. He knows that our heart is dishonest. He knows that our heart has deep, hidden things inside of it. Are you still in Jeremiah? Turn to chapter 20. Look at verse 12. God sees our heart. Jeremiah 20, verse 12 says, O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for you have, for you have I committed my cause. The Lord of hosts is the one that tests the righteous. The Lord of hosts is the one who sees the heart, who sees the mind, who sees mission control. And of course, this also harkens us back to First um, Samuel's chapter sixteen, verse seven where it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on the appearance or the height of his statue, because I have rejected him. Now pick up this phrase. For the Lord sees. The Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but in contrast to what man does, the Lord looks on the what? The heart. The heart. I promised you guys Deuteronomy chapter 8, right? Now let's go there. Deuteronomy chapter 8. In God's university of schooling us in the heart, we see that there's deep things there. There's dishonest things. There's self-favoring things of the heart. It's a deceitful heart. And the Lord sees it all. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, let us see this even more clearly. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years into the wilderness. The Lord is doing this. He is leading you. He is guiding you even into the wilderness. Why? Why would the Lord lead me or you or us into a wilderness, into a desert area where things are difficult? so that he might humble you, testing you to know what's in your heart. It's the sponge. Sponge looks great, but what have you been doing with it? What's inside of it? When it is squeezed, what comes out? To test you to know what's in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. See, difficulties, trials, hardships, afflictions, test your spiritual vitality and reveal long-hidden imperfections in your heart. Our God is a God who tests what's in our hearts this way. Proverbs 17.3 says, The crucible 
is for silver. The furnace is for gold. And the Lord tests the hearts. Why? Why does the Lord do this? That's the question that you ask, right? Why must God test the human heart? And the answer is clear. Because hardships force you and me to look at our own hearts honestly and more realistically. Turn to Psalms chapter 19. Maybe we can take a lesson from David. Just think of all the things that David has gone through, all the things that he has experienced. No doubt he has written much of um, what we find in the Psalter, right? And he says in Psalms chapter 19, verse 12, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Who can do that? Well, he answers that in verses 7 through 9 because he extols the glory and the beauty of God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. It is only God who can truly discern. It is only God who can reveal our errors and hidden faults. Therefore, we as mankind can do this only through special and careful attention to God's Word. We might ask, what was David's problem? No doubt you think about all of the blunders of his life. And what was his core problem? Well, the answer is simple. David trusted his heart. David thought that his sinful cravings were well hidden under several layers of pride and manipulation and self-righteous rationalizations. And don't think that David is alone in this matter. But of course, you know, David repented. Isn't that glorious? But sometimes when we're confronted with our sin, it's not godly sorrow, it's worldly sorrow. Let me give you a few examples of this. Maybe a husband is horrified and ashamed because his wife has discovered his secret indulgence of pornography on his computer, on his cell phone. Does he feel bad for being caught or is he broken over his sin? Or maybe we could talk about a wife that has been caught in an extramarital affair. Is she angry that she has been found out or perhaps even agonizingly grieved over how her sin has injured her husband, her children? Or is she grieved over her own sin that has dishonored our Lord Jesus Christ? What about a sorrowful pastor that might confess that he has a homosexual relationship once the evidence is uncovered. Is this man in serious depression and anguish over the loss of a place of honor? 
his position in the church and his family? Or is his heart truly broken over sin? And some of you guys are like, well, I'm not like David. I'm not like any of these examples. Maybe not. But our sin is still a big deal before a holy God. Often the guilty party has certain feelings of sorrow over his sin, but it is not a sorrow that it is according to God. We are not broken to our heart, and it is critical to understand the necessary spiritual distinction between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Will you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10? In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, the original New Testament language of this verse demonstrates that genuine repentance belongs to the realm of true salvation. Worldly grief or sorrow cannot repent. Why? Because it lacks regenerative grace that softens and breaks our heart. According to MacArthur, repentance is not, number one, merely being ashamed or sorry over sin, although genuine repentance always involves an element of remorse. Number two, repentance is not merely a human work. It is, like every element of redemption, a sovereign bestowed gift of God. Repentance is not, number three, a pre-salvation attempt to set one's life in order. It is a command to recognize one's lawlessness and hate it, to turn one's back on it and to flee to Christ, embracing him wholeheartedly in devotion. See, worldly sorrow can be found in numerous places in Scripture. You remember Cain? What about Esau or Ahab or Judas? Being distressed... Sorrowful, mournful, dejected, and remorseful are not the same things as godly repentance. Even though these attitudes may accompany genuine repentance, they are not to be confused with it. J.C. Ryle states, True repentance is no light matter. It is a thorough change of heart about sin a change showing itself in godly sorrow and humiliation, in heartfelt confession before the throne of grace, in a complete break-off from sinful habits, and the abiding hatred of all sin. Such repentance is the inseparable companion of saving faith in Christ. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that letter grieved you, though for a while. Verse 9. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Now, here's our verse, verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Verse 11. For see 
what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did wrong, but it was for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed in the sight of God. What is this godly grief that produces repentance that's not like the world? Well, there's eagerness that it produces in us to clear ourselves to eliminate all of that from our life. It causes us to be indignant with our sin. We have holy, godly fear, longing to do what is right, zeal for that, and even taking our lumps and the punishment of it. Repentance. MacArthur says the Greek word behind repent means more than regret or sorrow. It means to turn around, to change direction, to change the mind and will. It does not denote just any change, but always a change from the wrong to the right, away from sin, and to righteousness. Repentance involves sorrow for sin, but sorrow that leads to a change of thinking, desire, and conduct of life. Amen. So what is the summary of all of this? The heart of the matter can be summarized as follows. You cannot trust your own heart to know itself. The only reliable guide for self-knowledge is the Word of God. Your sinful heart is not only difficult to understand, but also deceptive. It will lie to you. It is full of rationalizations for sin, as it is prone to cast itself and its motives in the most favorable light. Godly men throughout Scripture have learned to distrust their hearts while relying on God's revelation to understand the heart's central motivations. God, God is the only righteous judge of our hearts any dominating desire of the heart that replaces the desire to love and serve God foremost is an idol, and make no mistake. It may not be an idol of wood or stone, but it is just as destructive. A heart idol will demand worship. Chief among them are the voices that awake your central desires. Your sensual, your sensual desires, they will promise you pleasure, fulfillment, but they will deliver only death. It is time to identify your idol and to repent. The Lord can purify you from any idolatry when you permit the Holy Spirit of God to use the truth of His Word to change your heart. True repentance, first of all, involves understanding and insight, intellectual awareness of the need for moral and spiritual cleansing and change. Second, it involves our emotions. We come to feel our need 
that our mind knows. It's in the heart. It's in the mind. But it's also in the hand. Third, it involves appropriate actions that result from what our mind knows and our heart feels. This is for not just the unbelievers, but for the believers. If we're to have a change in our hearts, we need the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. We started off in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, which said, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. Maybe some of you guys are seeing by God's grace that there are heart issues that you need to deal with. The verse goes on, it says, but the man of understanding would draw it out. Maybe the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, has been using his spirit to convict you of sins, and you need to repent today. Do so. Let's bow in prayer. O Lord, you are our God. You are our Savior. You are our creator and maker. Your word has clearly revealed to us about our hearts. Convict us, Lord, of our sins so that we might confess them to you and turn from them in righteousness and holiness through the power of the Spirit. Lord, we pray this so that we would be a body that is pure and holy unto your service. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.